Good to see you here. Uh, real quick, before we dive into the message, one quick thing I want to mention. It's coming up next Sunday, and this is brand new for us. It's called our Gifts and Serving class. Uh, we're rolling this out in an attempt to help you discover not only how God has wired you up, you know, in terms of giftings and, and abilities and talents and personality and things like that, uh, but we also want to help you figure out your place here at Crosspoint. Uh, where do you fit in when it comes to the mission and the ministry of this church? And so this is designed for you. It's, it's kind of part of it is self-discovery. Part of it is uh, discovering who God is and why we serve. And part of it's about discovering the church in deeper ways. So we'd love for you to be a part of this if uh, you're not already engaged in serving. And so you can sign up for this today before you leave at the Connection Desk in the lobby. Or if you want to do it all online, you can go to the link there. And you can find all the same info. But make sure you do it today. Again, it's happening next Sunday, June 11th, 945. Uh, and, and we'll get you all the info you need about where it's taking place after you sign up. All right? Awesome. Well, hey, if you have a Bible or a device with a, a Bible app on it, grab it. And let's go to Mark chapter 6 together. Mark chapter 6. Well, the topic of today's message is Courage. Just a few days ago, I came across a story about the incredible courage of two homeless men. These men were sleeping outside of Manchester Arena just a couple of weeks ago when a suicide bomber killed 22 people and injured 59 more at a concert there. I'm pretty sure most of you have heard of that by now. But after the bomb exploded and everyone else was running from the scene to find shelter and safety, these two homeless men ran inside the building to help. Now, I think you'll agree with this. That's not normal, right? The normal thing to do in a situation like that is to run in the opposite direction as quickly as possible and to protect yourself, which I would argue is why the stories of courageous people like those men inspire us so much. You know, if we found ourselves in a similar situation, like I'm sure you're like me and you hope that you would respond in the same way that they did, but if you're being honest, you're not so sure, right? And I think our lack of confidence often stems from a misconception about courage, which is this, that courage is the absence of fear. But the truth is this, uh, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is when you stand in the face of fear and you confront it head on. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling his disciples to do in our passage for today. In these verses we're studying, we come to a second storm miracle in the book of Mark that takes place on the Sea of Galilee. If you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember me preaching on the first storm miracle from Mark in Mark chapter 4, right? Jesus was on a boat with his disciples on the sea, and a storm arose, and Jesus was busy sleeping, And so the disciples, because they were afraid they were going to die, they go and they wake Jesus up, accuse him of not caring about them. And so instead of saying anything to them, Jesus simply gets himself up and he rebukes the storm and he calms it by the very power of his word. And then he turns and looks at his guys and he asks them a very simple but important question. He says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Is it in me or is it in the storm raging around you? Well, in this second storm miracle, and you'll see this in a moment, things happen quite differently. Uh, Jesus, in this scenario, is not on the boat with his disciples when the storm arises. He's actually on the shore by himself. And instead of speaking to the storm this time, he actually takes a walk on the water in the midst of the storm, and he speaks to his disciples. But this time, he isn't asking questions. He's given a command, and the command is this. He says to his 12 guys, take heart. Take heart. In spite of what you're facing, 
And in spite of what you're feeling, be courageous. Now, look up here for just a moment, if you will. I need you to know that this command wasn't limited to those 12 men. But instead, this command still applies to us as followers of Jesus today. And that becomes very clear when you read the scriptures, right? Time and time again throughout the Bible, God says to us as his people, despite what you feel and despite what you may face, take heart. Don't be afraid. Live courageously. Now, let's all be honest with ourselves. That's a lot easier said than done, right? And so it begs the question, well, James, that sounds fantastic. How in the world do I do that? When life gets difficult or I walk through discouraging seasons or when I feel like life is just beating me up, having its way with me, what do I as an individual need to know in order to follow this command and live courageously? Well, we're going to let our passage answer that question for us, all right? So if your Bibles are open, Mark chapter 6, we're going to dive in. Here we go. Verse 45. If you don't have anything with you, this will be on the screens, but here's what Mark says. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. That's a key phrase in this passage, so don't forget about it. We'll come back to it. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, and he said, and here's our command, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now, we'll stop there and talk, all right? Uh, this story of Jesus walking upon the water, it takes place immediately following the story that we covered last week, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men, potentially 10,000 people, if you include the women and children, with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, Mark says, after he fed these people, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, guys, get in a boat and get out of here. Now, that seems a little strange, right? But if you read this account in the book of John, John actually gives us some insight into why Jesus did this. He tells us in John 6, verses 14 and 15, that these people that were fed by Jesus, they recognized him as a prophet sent by God into the world, and they were ready to take Jesus by force, In other words, they were making plans to kidnap Jesus and to make him their ruler and their king. Now, due to various reasons that we don't have the time to get into today, Jesus didn't want his disciples to be in the midst of all the madness. And so he said to them, just get out of here while I deal with the crowd. And so they do. They get in a boat and they leave. And Mark continues and he says, after Jesus finally got the crowd to leave, he withdrew by himself to a mountain to pray. Now, this is significant. And I mentioned this earlier in the series, but I'm going to mention it again because it's worth mentioning again, okay? This is one of three times in the entire gospel of Mark we find Jesus praying. He prays for the first time in John chapter 1, the third time in, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, the third time in Mark chapter 14, and then time number two is here in our passage, Mark chapter 6. When you study all these uh, prayer passages in which Jesus was going to the Father to spend time with him alone, what's interesting is that you discover that Jesus was always praying in the face of crisis and temptation. The temptation, again, in Mark 6 was this. These people wanted Jesus to be their king. 
But Jesus knew that the only way to be the king they actually needed was by going to the cross and laying his life down. And so he prayed. And I want you to think about that with me. If Jesus, the perfect son of God, needed to pray in moments like these to fight temptation and to find courage, how much more do we as sinful, broken people need to do the same? But I would argue much more, which brings to light a critical truth about courage that I want to point out for us, and it's this. I need you to know today that courage comes from the outside, not from within. Courage comes from the outside, not from within. You see, supernatural courage doesn't naturally live inside of you. And it isn't something you're going to muster up on your own, right? Meaning that when you face the difficulties of life, you can't simply look in the mirror and say to yourself, self, we are going to proceed courageously. It doesn't work that way. I mean, you can't give yourself that kind of courage. Only God can give it to you. And please hear me. Look, he gives it to you in response to your asking for it. And so my encouragement would be this, and please don't miss this. Look, when life gets hard, get on your knees. Let prayer serve as your starting place. And the importance of doing this, it goes back to a truth that I've taught from this platform many times, and I will keep teaching it. It's this, and it's fascinating to me, that our God, the God of the universe, is actually attracted to weakness. You get that? I know in our culture, this is hard to believe and it's counterintuitive in many ways because the world out there tries to sell us on the idea that strong people are desirable people. But according to God, he's not interested in strong people. He wants weak people, right? The Bible teaches this time and time again, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, that when we're weak, we're made strong, that in acknowledging our limitations, that's when the power of Christ rests upon us. And so I would say to you, if you walked in the door struggling today, I would challenge you, don't act like you're not, right? You're not fooling anybody because all of us in the room know what it feels like to be human in the midst of a hardship. And so everybody in the room who knows you, like we know you're faking it. And so instead of faking it, why don't you just admit your weakness and come to God in humility And you can trust to know that in doing so, God's commitment is to meet you right where you are, to give you the strength and the courage you need to make it through whatever it is you're facing. This is what he did for Jesus every time he prayed, right? And I'm just one of those guys, I mean, I'm I'm pretty simple in the way I think. I think if it worked for Jesus, it probably would work for us. So we pray. Why? Because Jesus prayed. He prayed. And Mark says that as he prayed, evening finally came. Again, get the scene in your mind. Jesus, he's still on the shore by himself. His disciples are out on the sea in a boat. Uh, Again, in John's account, we're told that they're about three to four miles offshore. And so at one point, Jesus looks up from praying, and he sees that his guys are struggling. Right, A storm has come upon them. The wind is against them. They are making very little progress. And what's so interesting to me is that Jesus does nothing at first. He just sits there. And he watches them struggle. In fact, Mark tells us that Jesus doesn't do anything until the fourth watch of the night. According to Roman time, uh, that would have been somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And so I want you to think about this with me. From evening until early morning, Jesus just lets this guy struggle. He lets them suffer through their storm without intervening, which raises the question, why? Why in the world would Jesus do that? Why would he let these guys struggle for hours on end while doing nothing? I know some of us, we probably hear that and we read that and we go, wow, Jesus was a jerk back then, right? 
that's unloving and that's uncaring. But I would argue the exact opposite. All right, stay with me and I'll make my case. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, I was at our neighborhood pool with my oldest daughter, Rowan, who's five. And at one point, as we're hanging at the pool, she says to me, Daddy, I want you to help me learn how to swim. We're still trying to figure that out uh, with her. And so I pull her into the shallowest part of the pool. It's only three feet deep, so her head would stick out of the water entirely. And we take off her little puddle jumper. For all you non-parents in the room, that's just like an advanced version of the blow-up floaties, you know, that kids wear at times. So we take that off, and I have her standing on one of the steps of the pool, and she is terrified. She's never been that brave around the water. And I'm trying to explain to her, look, babe, even if you sink, you can just put your feet down, and you can touch the bottom, and your head will be above the water, so you don't have anything to be afraid of. But she wasn't hearing it. She was absolutely losing her mind wouldn't listen, wouldn't trust me. And so at one point she looks back and she says, daddy, I want to put my floaty back on. And I said to her, no. And before you start judging me and thinking I'm some awful father, let me explain. Okay. Here was my thinking. All right. I'm standing there knowing that my daughter is scared of what she told me she wanted to do. And as a dad who loves my girl, I don't want her to live in fear like that. So in that moment, I was willing to let her struggle with what she was afraid of because I knew if she didn't, she wouldn't face it. But more importantly, I was really hoping that her struggle would force her to depend on me as her dad in greater ways, giving me the opportunity to help her be courageous. And eventually it did. Eventually she said to me, okay, daddy, I'm going to let you help me. And she laid across my arms and even though she was scared, she paddled and she kicked and you know, we moved her across the, the pool on top of the water as I held her. Look, because of what I see in the story, I truly believe that Jesus let his guy struggle for all the same reasons. I mean, it's obvious he didn't want his disciples living in fear, right? And so he let them struggle for a while, knowing that it would be the only way for them to realize and recognize just how much they needed his help to be courageous. And I need you to know the same is still true for us today. See, when you find yourself facing danger or difficulty in life, when things get tough and you're struggling and you feel like Jesus is nowhere to be found, you ever been there? It's like, Lord, life's beat me up. Where are you? The first thing I need you to trust is this, that Jesus sees you. Just as he saw his disciples struggling, he sees you struggling. And he's not sitting on the shore laughing at you or barking orders at you, telling you to do better or try harder. No, he's just giving you some time so that you can experience what the struggle feels like. And as crazy as it sounds, look, he's doing this because he loves you. You see, he needs you to feel what the struggle's like because he knows it's the only way you'll learn how much you need him to be courageous. You see, he's willing, because he loves you, look, to bring you to a place of desperation and dependency upon him, because he knows if you never get there, you'll never overcome fear, and you'll never experience the courageous life he's calling you to. So Jesus, he let his guys struggle, and he lets us struggle for all the same reasons. Even if this sounds ridiculous to you, it's so critical for you to see it this way, and here's why. I've often found in my experience working with people that struggling through hardship leads to one of two places, dependency or desertion. Dependency or desertion. Either Look, either you're going to be that person who believes Jesus sees me, and Jesus loves me, and Jesus cares, and the only reason he's allowing me to struggle right now is to grow my dependency upon him. 
or you're going to be that person who believes the opposite. Jesus doesn't see me, and Jesus doesn't love me, and it doesn't really feel like Jesus cares right now. In fact, what it feels like is that Jesus has deserted me. And so I think what I'll do is I'll desert him, and I'll just do my best to be strong on my own. Listen, I need you to know if you choose the latter, you are making a decision to refuse the help of God. And as a result, you'll miss out on the courageous life he wants you to experience. But if you choose the former, you can take heart in knowing that at some point, Jesus will show up in the midst of your storm and help. And this is what we see him doing in the story, isn't it? He lets his disciples struggle for a while. And then Mark says that Jesus actually came out to them walking on the water. Don't you love that? Jesus wastes no time trying to find a boat. I mean, it's somewhere 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., so there were probably no boats available. But I like to think that he's standing on the shore thinking to himself, you know what, I'm God, and I created this sea. And since I can do whatever I want, I'll just walk out there. I'll take a three- to four-mile hike uh, across the, the top of these waves, and I'll go help my guys. And that's exactly what he does. And it's in this first miracle of Jesus walking on the water that we find the first truth that gives us courage when we face difficulty or storms in life. If you take a note, you can write it down. Here it is. When life gets tough, you have to know that Jesus is God in the storm. That Jesus is God in the storm. As miraculous as this moment was, Jesus walking upon the water, it was also prophetic in a sense. And I'll explain what I mean by that, all right? If you go back to the Old Testament and, and you study certain passages, you find that certain passages actually speak of God walking upon the waters. Uh, one great example is Job 9, verse 8. It talks about a God who tramples upon the waves. Another example is Isaiah 43, 16, that talks of God making his way through the sea, making paths through the mighty waters. So you have to understand here in the New Testament, in recording this miracle, Mark is trying to get us to see Jesus as the God those passages spoke of. And that becomes even clearer in verse 48. You remember what I told you to remember that phrase that he meant to pass them by? I don't know what you thought when you first read that. While, like, wow, Jesus is trying to like sneak around his guys. He sees them struggling. He knows they need help, but he's out. He's not helping. That's not what it means at all. In fact, it means the exact opposite. This language, he meant to pass them by, this is the same language that you find in the Old Testament when God would pass by certain prophets in order to reveal his glory to them. Uh, one great example is Exodus 33, where Moses comes to God, and God has basically said, Moses, whatever you want, just ask, I'll give it to you. And Moses says, God, I just want to see your glory. It's all I want. I don't want anything else. I just want to see your glory and so God takes Moses and he hides him in the cleft of a rock and he covers it with his hand and he passes by and he lets Moses see his back after telling him, you can't see my face because you'll die if you look upon me. Another great example is found in 1 Kings 19 where God says to Elijah, I want you to go stand on a mountain and I'm going to pass by you. And he does. And the Bible says that God in that moment revealed himself to Elijah, not in the mighty wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in a quiet whisper. Listen, all that to say, Jesus had every intention in this moment of walking upon the water and passing by his disciples to reveal himself to them as God. Because he knew if they'll see me for who I am, God in their storm, it'll calm their fears and give them the courage they need to face it. Unfortunately, it didn't work. 
Instead of seeing him as God, they saw him as a ghost, right? Mark says that they were terrified and they cried out and we can't really blame them for that, can we? I mean, imagine it was you. You're on a boat in the wee hours of the morning and it's dark outside and there's a storm going on around you and you see a dark figure walking towards you on top of the water. Well, you're probably gonna be terrified too, aren't you? I mean, that's some paranormal activity kind of stuff. And so realizing, wow, my guys just missed it. That didn't work. This is when Jesus speaks to his disciples and he gives the command that we've already mentioned. He says to them, guys, take heart. Take heart. It's me. Don't be afraid. Now, with all that in mind, I want to go away from Mark's account for just a moment. And I want to touch on a part of the story that he actually leaves out. Uh, It's the story of Peter's response, which is found in Matthew chapter 14. I don't know why Mark left it out. None of us do, especially since history tells us that Mark was Peter's assistant and writer, right? I told you in week one of the series that the gospel of Mark is really the gospel of Peter, right? This is Peter's account of Jesus's ministry. So for some reason, Peter didn't think it was necessary to include his part of the story, but Matthew did. And so he tells us that when Jesus gives that command, take heart, don't be afraid, that Peter, the one guy out of the 12, basically says back to Jesus, all right, hey, Jesus, if it's you, I'll be courageous. If it's really you, tell me to get out of this boat. Uh, I want to do what you're doing. And so Jesus says back to Peter, all right, come on, man, get out of the boat. Come walk on the water with me. And so he does. He climbs over the side of the boat. And he steps out onto the waves. How crazy would that have been? And I don't think Peter gets nearly enough credit for this, right? I mean, everybody that preaches this passage, they always want to hurry past the fact that he actually got out of the boat to tell us all about him sinking. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment because there's incredible insight in that. But can we just like stop and think about the fact that the dude got out of the boat? A one guy who said, Jesus, I will take you at your word, and if it's you, then I will be courageous. The one guy who did it. We should celebrate that in Peter's life. And so he's the guy, the the solo guy out of the boat, and he's walking toward Jesus. And in Matthew 14, verse 30, we read that there came a point where Peter, he started to see the wind, and he became afraid, and he sank. So in other words, he got distracted, and he took his eyes off of Jesus And before he knew it, he was drowning. Now, the reason I wanted to touch on his story is because it provides incredible insight into what happens in our lives. Look, when we take our eyes off of Jesus as God in the midst of our storms, we become afraid and we get distracted and we start fixing our eyes on all the wrong things. And instead of telling our storm how big our God is, we spend way more time telling God how big our storm is. And as a result, we start sinking. We sink deeper into fear, deeper into discouragement, deeper into despair. And before we know it, it's like, man, all we can do is is do our best to keep our head above water. It feels like we are drowning. And in those moments, we all have a decision to make. And it's the same decision Peter had to make in this moment. Will you give up and drown or will you fix your eyes back on Jesus and see him for who he is and cry out to him for the help and rescue you need? That's the decision. What I love so much about the story is that when Peter made that decision, the right decision, and he reached out and he screamed out, Lord, save me, that Jesus didn't look at Peter flailing around in the water and go, oh, buddy, wish I could. But you took your eyes off me. 
And because you failed in that, now you're going to have to suffer the consequences. Listen, maybe you walked into the room today and you are where Peter was. You're that person who has found yourself in the midst of a storm. Life got hard. Something happened in your life that you weren't ready for. You weren't looking for this. You know it's outside of your control. And because of what you're facing, your gaze has started to slip. And you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. And as a result, you feel like you are absolutely drowning right now. Here's what I want to say to you, and I pray that this encourages you. Listen, even in your failure to keep your eyes fixed on him, Jesus is still faithful to you. Isn't that amazing? He's the one waiting on top of the waves, looking at you, just thinking to himself, just ask me. Just ask me for help. Now, you sank due to your own stupidity, right? Due to your own sin, due to your own faith. I'm right here. And the moment you ask me, I'm going to reach down and I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to give you the help and courage you need. And so I just want to say to you today, if that's where you find yourself, Lord, I am drowning. Stop flailing and stop sinking and reach out to the Savior and trust him to pull you back on top of the waves with him. He said to Peter, he said to Peter, oh, you have little faith. After they got back in the boat, why did you doubt? Why did you see your storm as greater than me? Again, I would say to you, don't ever forget that Jesus is greater than any storm you'd face in life. And I promise you, he can get you through it. He is God in the storm. Now, with all that said, I want to go back to Mark's account. I don't know if you caught this earlier, but after Jesus gave that command, take heart, uh, a second miracle took place. Did you catch this? Jesus walks on the water, gives his guys a command, he gets in the boat, and then what happened? Yeah, the wind died down. So in other words, we see happening in in Mark 6, what happened in Mark 4, uh, the storm goes away immediately. And it's in this second miracle that we find the second truth that gives us courage in the face of difficulty. And it's this, that Jesus is God over the storm. So he's not just God in the storm with us and for us, but he's also God over the storm. One of the things that fascinates me about this second miracle is the fact that this storm basically yielded to Jesus without Jesus saying or doing anything. All he did was get in the boat. It's almost like the wind and the waves recognized, hey, Jesus is here. And he's climbing in. And the last time this happened, he rebuked us. So we might as well go ahead and shut it down now. Again, this is a great reminder for us today that no storm we ever face in life is beyond his power and control. Even when you feel completely out of control, God's got it all under control. Why? Because he's the sovereign ruler of the universe. And he possesses the necessary power always to either calm your storm or to carry you through safely to the other side. The question you have to wrestle with is, do you see it that way? Do you see Jesus as God over your storm or are you missing him like the disciples missed him? And it's almost hard to process when you first read it. But Mark says that after Jesus got into the boat and the wind ceased, the, the, the storm went away, that these disciples were utterly astounded because they didn't understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. Here's Mark's point. He's going, look, even after Jesus fed thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish, even after he walked on the water and calmed the storm, the disciples still lacked the spiritual perception to see him for who he truly was. 
And so as a result, they were shocked and surprised, not in a good way, that Jesus was actually able to do the things he did. Isn't that insane? Can I tell you the problem with this type of hard-heartedness? Like if you're someone in the room who misses Jesus like they miss Jesus, and you are surprised by his power and ability to calm the storms in your life, when storms come upon you, the last place you'll run is to him. And even if Jesus forces his way into those storms like he did in this case, chances are you will miss him in the process. And so again, I would just ask the question, where do you find yourself today? Are you seeing Jesus rightly or are you missing him? Listen, when it comes down to it, and if you want to write this down somewhere, this would be something that you might want to capture and remember. When it comes down to it, this whole conversation about courage is one of perspective. And I'll say it a different way, all right? In other words, when life gets tough, the thing that matters most is where your eyes are fixed. Y'all with me? Y'all alive out there? Let me just say it again. What matters most when life gets tough is where your eyes are fixed. If they are not fixed on Jesus as the God in and over your storm, then chances are you'll continue to walk in fear and you'll miss out on living courageously. But if the opposite is true, and if, if you're that person who when storms come, you're constantly lifting your eyes to see him for who he is, to recognize his greatness and his power and, and his character, that right perspective is what will give you courage to face whatever it is that life throws at you. And so again, I just want to ask, where are your eyes fixed? It's easy for us to say that our eyes are fixed on him when things are calm and life's going well, isn't it? When life gets tough, this is when you got to ask that question. Are my sights set on him or are they set somewhere else? And again, I would just go back to Peter's story. The greatest indication that your sights are set somewhere else is that you're sinking. You lift your eyes and you put them on Jesus. Now, as we close, I want to go back to our passage one last time. We're going to read the last few verses of this chapter together. And uh, I want to do this because I think these verses reveal yet another truth about courage that I want you to see. And so pick up with me, verse 53. Mark continues, and he says, When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, and they moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him, and they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. Isn't this amazing? The disciples missed Jesus after the miracles. Yet these people in Gennesaret see Jesus for who he is immediately. All he does is walk off the boat. They're like, oh my gosh, that's him. Let's get all these messed up people as quickly as we can to Jesus. And so that's what they do. Wherever he came in villages, cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. All right, here's a pop quiz. You ready? I'm giving you permission to cheat if you want. You can look in your Bibles back at verse 45 and it'll tell you the answer. But here's a question. When the disciples first set out on the boat, they were sailing where? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay, Bethsaida, right? But Mark just told us that they landed where? In Gennesaret, right? So they're headed for Bethsaida, but this storm comes upon them, and this storm blows them off course. It took them to a place they weren't intending to go. But when they got there, they found a bunch of spiritually and physically sick people who needed to experience the help and healing of Jesus. And so don't miss this. Don't miss this. Even though their storm took them off course, 
in the end, it served a kingdom purpose. Listen, I want to be the guy that always tells you the truth, even when it's hard. So let me just tell you the truth. Sometimes the storms in your life are going to take you off course. Life's going to get tough. And it's going to land you in territory that you never wanted to be in, you never asked to be in, you weren't trying to get there. But here's what you have to know. God can use even those storms, the one that take you off course in the most um, extravagant of ways. And he can use them for kingdom purposes if you will allow him. I'll give you just a quick example from my life to make sense of what I mean a few years ago, my wife and I lost a baby to miscarriage about 12 weeks into the pregnancy. And it was far more painful than I ever imagined something like that would be. We didn't ask for it, we didn't want it, but we got it. And I'll tell you though, even though I would never want to go through anything like that again, that storm that we faced during that season of life, it has allowed us to identify with and to serve people facing very similar storms. And so here's my point. Here's my point. Oftentimes, it's our storm experiences that allow us to connect with broken, hurting people in meaningful ways. You see, when you can look at somebody else and go, me too. I've been there too. I know what that feels like. I've walked through it, got the t-shirt. That opens the door for you to share with that person how God carried you through to the other side. And so here's my final encouragement for you. Look, when your storm takes you off course, take heart. Take heart. It could be the very thing that God uses in your life to get you into the lives of people who desperately need the hope and help only he offers. Look at me. Let me just plead with you if I can. When life gets hard, when life gets hard, get your eyes on Jesus And live courageously and know that he can take even the most painful things you experience in life and give them purpose. Can we pray together? Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes all across the room. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and get in their places. And as they come uh, and you're settling in, let me just talk to you for a minute. The invitation today is very, very simple. Uh, the band, they're going to come and lead us in a song, which might be new for some of us, but uh, that's okay. I, I asked them to play this specific song today for us, and I'm really not worried about you singing it or not singing it. Uh, I wanted them to sing it over us so that it would minister to us in the next few moments. My greater concern is this, that if you walked into the room today and you're in a storm, life has gotten hard And it doesn't matter if it's a big one or a small one. But if you're that person who's been sitting here listening and you're going, oh my gosh, this was for me. This is where I am. This is life right now. The invitation's simple. Would you let us pray for you? Would you let us pray for you? I'll tell you, one of the reasons I love what we do on the first Thursday of every month, at those first Thursday gatherings, there just seems to be an openness in this room where people walk in, And I don't know if it's courage or humility or a mix of both, but there just seems to be uh, an openness to people coming and receiving prayer and asking for prayer. And my hope and prayer is that it would be true on Sunday mornings. I know the temptation oftentimes is to come in here and to put on our best faces and act like everything in life is always okay. But in reality, for some of us, things aren't okay. So I just want to say to you, it's okay that you're not okay. 
And again, what we want you to do is just to come and, and allow us to pray with you if that's you. Our prayer team's here. If you want to receive prayer from someone personally, come and just tell them, this is what's going on in my life, or I just need prayer for this broad thing happening in my life. Or if you just want to simply come and kneel at the front of this room, one of us will place a hand on you and just pray over you in the next few moments. But I want to pray for your courage, and then we're going to respond together. Lord, in the next few moments, God, would you lift our eyes, whoever we are, off of what we might be facing or experiencing in life. And would you get our eyes back on Jesus? Help us to see him for who he truly is. God, would you help us to know and believe today that regardless of what we're facing, that you love us, that you care for us. And God, even if you don't calm what's going on in our lives entirely right now, that you're committed to getting us through to the other side. So God, for those in the room that maybe need to take a knee or just come and receive prayer, give them the courage and the faith and the humility they need to take that step in the next few moments. God, we give this time for you. Would you work in our lives in ways that only you can? We trust you for that, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, let's stand to our feet. If you need us, we're here for you. We want to pray for you right now.